Welcome to the sermon podcast from Compass Church. In this sermon from November 7th, 2021, Pastor Craig Kidder continues teaching through Galatians 5, where he confronts the lie that our strongest desires are our deepest desires. For more information, please visit compasscfc.com. Well, good morning again. Good morning. My name's Craig. I'm one of the pastors here. I have a question for you. Have you ever been, have you ever been in a church, maybe a sermon, maybe a church service, where a pastor told you to try harder? Anybody? Yes. Yes, Yes, you have. Certainly not here. Probably at another church. But I was like, hey, you want to be a patient person? You need to try harder to be a patient person. You want to be a person of love? You need to try harder to be a person of love. Try harder, okay? Now, we want to be really gracious to my colleagues and perhaps myself. It's hard to preach, right? Sometimes I watch the tape and I'm like, I said that. I didn't mean that. Oh, man, we'll have to clean that up another week, right? We want to be gracious. We're not trying to, we're not trying to judge. But here's all. I, I don't think this is just a slip of the tongue. The pastor is being like, try harder, right? Be a person of patience. Try really hard to be patient, all right? You want to have more patience in your life? It's because you're not trying hard enough to have patience in your life. I don't think it's just a slip of the tongue. Uh, I actually think, it, you know, we have verses, right? Right? Peter tells us to make every effort. All right? That sounds like try harder. So we get these verses, and then we just, we're off to the races, right? Hey, you want to be a better parent? You need to try harder. We don't say it that explicitly, right? But that's the message, right? Try harder. Try harder. Okay. The problem with try harder is it doesn't work, all right? The problem is not the amount of energy we are exuding, all right? The problem is not the amount of energy we're exuding, okay? Just, for example, purple elephants, all right? I just don't, don't think about purple elephants, all right? Don't think about them. Don't think about these large, are they mammals? They're mammals, right? They have hair. So don't think about these large mammals, you know, trousing through the desert. You know, they, the way they eat things is crazy. They can swim. Did you know that? But don't think about that. Do not think about purple elephants, okay? Don't think about purple elephants. Don't think about elephants. Don't think about the color purple. Don't think about the uh, purple and an elephant. Don't think about it, right? Friends of mine, uh, one friend was a counselor, one was a pastor, and they told me a story about a guy that they met with regularly, lots of times, and they really liked this guy. He was great. The guy was addicted to porn and like old school addiction, right? And they were really trying to help him, and they're like, man, this guy really wants to get over his addiction. He's trying, he's giving it the old college try, but every week we get together, it's like, oh boy. How was your week? Oh boy. Right? And they're like, man, I don't think trying is the problem here. Part of the reason trying isn't the problem here, or effort, is because it doesn't speak to us as whole people, all right? It's only speaking to part of us. Yeah, there's effort involved, but if if your model of Christian transformation is just try harder, the reason that's set up to fail is because it's not geared at a whole person. What does it mean to be a person? Well, according to the Bible, a person is a will with a mind inside of a body. All this is bound together in your soul. We don't talk about soul a lot. All right, a person is a will. The decisions we make, the resolutions, we make. I, wanna, I want my life to face toward this way. I'm morally culpable, I make decisions, right? I can be held accountable for the things I make. I have a will, right? With a mind. Mine would include emotions, thoughts, feelings. I, I, I feel this way about experiences I'm having. I love, I hate. I think about things. A will with a mind wrapped up inside of a body. That's a person. And all of that together is the soul. So, for example, the psalmist says things like this. You know, find rest, O my soul. 
He's not just talking about this immaterial part of him. He's talking about his whole body, all right? And part of the reason why just willpower won't work, just try harder to be a better person, try harder to be a good Christian, part of the reason that won't work is because it's not a plan that's endorsed by the New Testament, and it's not a plan that speaks to the whole person. We have a limited amount of willpower, okay? I, I will very strongly not to eat lots of candy, okay? And that's actually rooted in my story. He's dead, so I can say this. I had an experience once with Jerry Falwell. It was not a nice experience with Jerry Falwell. He grabbed me. I didn't like that. And I was like 17 years old, and I was like, I don't like that guy. I've matured. I say maybe he was having a rough day, okay? But I went out into the back room, and I made a resolution. This makes no sense. Forgive me. Umbrella of grace. I said, I'm never going to be a fat pastor, all right? Oh, man. I can't stand that guy. He was so rude, blah, blah, blah. Now, I've told that story to lots of people, and they're like, oh, he was, he was a jokester. He's probably going to have a rough day. And that's what... Now mature Craig can say. But back in the moment, I was like, I'm, I'm going to not do that, all right? And so, I have all this willpower. I'm going to eat. I'm going to exercise. But wouldn't you know, wouldn't you know I work with people who like me, and they know I like Reese's peanut butter cups, and they leave Reese's peanut butter cups everywhere, all right? I get mad. I'm like, get rid of these. They're like, why? Willpower is a limited resource, we can run out of it. I have, all, I have willed myself not to eat these Reese's peanut butter cups. But what happens? I'm talking. I'm like, oh, yeah, hey. Right? I just had two right now. All right? I was, I was changing. I ran down between the office. I grabbed a drink, and I grabbed two Reese's peanut butter cups. All right? I, and I even I said that in the first service. I will not to eat these. And I'm like, oh, man, I fell for it again. All right? My friends who were counseling this guy who kept looking at pornography even though he didn't want to. It was, it was threatening to, like, change his life in ways he didn't want to. He really had a desire to change. One night, they're dropping him off at his house, and they pull into the parking lot of his apartment, and wouldn't you know where he lives? Above a strip club. All right, and they're like, uh, hey, bro, I think we found the linchpin to your problem. And he's like, oh, but the rent is so good. I really like this neighborhood. And they're like, you were, you know... Again, this isn't a willpower problem. Why? Why isn't habits eat willpower for breakfast? And if we're going to have a plan for Christian formation, how we can experience Christ living in us, it has to get at all of us, the whole person, all right? And you're like, habits? I'm not really, I don't have habits, right? That's just not me, okay? Okay, I hear you. I'm not really a habitual person either, but just... Hang in with me for a second. What's the third step in tying your shoe? If you know it, shout it out. What do you, you do three steps. First you burn, then you burn, then you burn. What's step three? Doesn't anyone in here tie their shoes? Do you not know how to tie shoes? Well, I don't know. I guess this is kind of controversial. I guess we grab the laces, we twist. I don't know. But here's the thing. I can't even describe it, and I came up with the illustration. Why? Because it's a habit. We do this automatically. We don't even think about it. Did you brush your teeth today? You don't really know. <laughs> I think so. It's a habit. Why? Habits eat will, willpower for breakfast. You didn't will to tie your shoes. It just becomes part of a habit. Paul says this. He says this, that we, every single one of us, is experiencing a war. All followers of Jesus have this internal war going inside between the flesh and the spirit. And we got to be so careful how we talk about this, all right? But there's a war going inside all of us who are followers of Jesus between this thing called the flesh and this thing called the spirit. And the flesh 
affects our whole being, our whole soul, our wills, what we want, where we aim our lives toward, our mind, how we think, our emotions, and our body, right? Paul says that sin, the flesh, is in our members, that members like hands, feet, just like tying your shoe is in your hands, right? You know, sin affects every area of our lives. And so many of us, when we, ha- we talk about Christian transformation, when we talk about uh, spiritual formation, following the way of Jesus, we don't get at the whole person. And we're stuck and we're frustrated. And we think Christianity doesn't work. Some of that is because we have a faulty soteriology. Yeah, that's right. I went to college. <laughs> soteriology. It's, it's a, I don't know. It's Greek for uh, the study of salvation. If we think salvation means God saves me so I can go to heaven when I die, spiritual formation makes very little sense. All right, if it's just about the minimum entrance requirements to get into the kingdom of God, to go to heaven when you die, why bother? There's a lot of effort. There's a lot of work. This doesn't make sense. But as the great Dallas Willard says, what if salvation is not just you get forgiven from your sins and you get to go to heaven when you die? What if salvation is being attached to God? Remember, this is, this is one of only two times I'm going to quote him. After this, I'm, this is my saying, right? David Nonemacher was here a few weeks ago. And he said, at the fall, what was lost was rest. And what was the other one? Do you remember if you're here? Relationship. Yes. At the fall, sin caused us to lose rest and relationship. What if the gospel restores both of those? What if that relationship gets restored? And salvation is that relationship. It's being attached to the living God. And spiritual formation is not about like, okay, I get to go to heaven when I die. I guess I should just clean up all this other stuff. It's extra credit. We'll just clean up. What if it's like, hey, I want to live in relationship and I want to live into the fullest reality of what's already true. We, we just celebrated three people saying they, they're united to Jesus. All right? They're united to Jesus. They trust Jesus. You know, if anyone is in Christ, new creation, right? Paul says, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who lives. Christ lives in me. Learning to live into the reality of that feels so foreign. And you will never learn to live into the reality of that by trying harder. What you will do is you'll either convince yourself you've nailed it and get very prideful and look around and be like, this isn't hard. Why can't people just do this? You know, just knock it off. Stop it. And do this. Or you'll get very down on yourself and you'll be on this treadmill of guilt and shame. You'll do super well. You trip and fall. Boom. I knew it. I'm the worst. And that's just what the Christian life becomes. What if there's another way? Today, are there any teachers out there? Anybody who like is a, an elementary school grammar teacher? Anybody? Okay, this is for you, elementary. This is for Mrs. Keller. This is for Mrs. Satterley. This is for all my elementary school teachers out there. And if you're watching, you're welcome. In the book of Galatians so far, we have only had indicative verbs. Finally, finally, we get to an imperative verb. (laughs) Okay, that's actually super transformative. Let me unpack that for you for a second. Indicatives are just Paul saying what is. He's saying, hey, 
Here's the message of Christianity. Here's the gospel. Here's theology. You don't have to do anything. All right? He said things like, you're crucified with Christ. You no longer live. Christ lives in you. He said things like, foolish Galatians, you're not living into the reality. He's just, he's just describing things. We get four and a half chapters of good news about what Jesus has done for us. Okay? And our working metaphor for this is a tree. All right? Jesus is a tree, and those of us who trust Jesus have been grafted into that tree, like a branch grafts into the trunk of a tree, okay? So just like the life-giving energy from this tree now flows into the branches, for followers of Jesus, because we trust Jesus, his life-giving energy, his resurrection power, the Spirit of God lives in us. Paul has been telling us that for four and a half chapters. He's just been dumping good news on us. He has not told us to do a single thing. That's wonderful, right? Now, he says, hey, let's get to what, how then should we live, all right? Don't flip that. If you flip that, you have the same problem as the Galatians, all right? It's not, I want this good news, so I need to do things to get that good news. It's, here's the good news, here's what's true, now here's how you live into that reality. I grew, I learned how to drive in Concord, New Hampshire. My dad is super laid back. If you ever meet him, this is, he had eight kids. This is how he taught his kids how to drive. He'd sit in the passenger seat and he'd crank the seat back and he'd just cross his arms and fall asleep, okay? And so I was told, I had given, I'd been given an assignment to learn how to get onto an on-ramp on a freeway. The closest one was the 93 to 393, whatever. I don't know what it's called. And so... When 16-year-old Craig is freaking out, okay, my, my guide is useless. I don't really understand how freeways work. And so here's the, there's a very short on-ramp, all right? And then you have to go across three lanes of traffic. And the roads, I don't know what's wrong with America. They're like 93 and 393. That's confusing to a 16-year-old. 93 takes you to Boston. 393 takes you to the grocery store two feet away. And so it's like, oh, my gosh, this is stressful, right? So I remember there's a million instructions, right? Speed up, but don't smash into that sob in front of you. Okay, you know, try to nail that. And then I remember, check your blind spot. I always remember that because the first time I did it, I, bam, smashed my head into the window because I was doing it too fast, right? Turn on your blinker, check the blind spot, right? Oh, wait, remember the sob, okay? And then we get over. Which lane is it? Oh, wait, does 93 go to the grocery store or does 393 go to the grocery store? Okay, I'm in the grocery store lane. Okay, now what do I do? Guide's still asleep. This is stressful, okay? That's spiritual formation for Christians. All right, here's what we're saying. This war that rages on inside of us is actually over. Paul says that in 523. Those who have trusted Christ have crucified the flesh. All right? The war does not feel over. I come home from work. I've had a long day. You know, I put in a good nine to five. My kids come up to me and expect me to be the United Nations, right? There's been a problem going on that's going to continue for all of eternity, but yet somehow I need to say the wise thing, detangle all this information, and just like speak truth and create peace among two people who are probably never going to experience peace. You know what I want to do in that moment, though? I want to just veg, all right? It's been a while since I've caught up on, like, John Boy videos. Like, I have, like, a whole thing. I just want to hang out for a little bit. Just give me a chance to catch my breath before I transition to home. That's not anyone else's plan for my life, okay? <laughs> but, 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 I also 
really, really, really want to be a present dad. Man, I want, to, I want my kids to know I love them. I want to make eye contact with them. I want them to know their dad cares. I have these two desires, and they're competing. We want to be generous people, right? We want to give and be generous. And then when the opportunity comes to give, we're like, ugh, ugh, you know, stewardship, right? Do we really, you know, is this really a time to give, right? We want to be patient people. But when there's opportunities when our coworkers mess up that job again, and we've, really, we've been really praying about how we can be patient people, the war kicks off again, right? How in the world do we navigate that? Well, that's why Paul, in the second half of Galatians, gets at a lie that we have to recognize. We have to recognize this lie if we're going to have any sort of victory. Here's the lie, okay? My strongest desires are my deepest desires. That's a lie. The moment you recognize that your strongest desires are not necessarily your deepest desires is the moment you can start to walk in freedom. The flesh, we're going to talk about what the flesh is, but let me just say this about the flesh. The lifeblood of the flesh, the lifeblood of the flesh, are their lies. Lies are the lifeblood of the flesh. And so we have these strong desires motivated by this thing we're going to figure out what it's called the flesh, and we get all these lies then, right? The reason you're struggling to be patient with your children it's because you're an angry person. That could be one lie. Another lie could be, man, you deserve, you deserve to just veg. Don't your kids know that parenting, parenting you don't punch in until 6.30? All right? You deserve this freedom. Right? The lie deals in half-truth and lie, the flesh deals in half-truth and lies. And the problem is, we, on our own, are not very good at detecting that. And so the battle goes on, ba dum ba dum But what the invitation that Paul gives us this morning towards Christian formation is to recognize the battle. To recognize that there is a battle, and just because there's a battle, that doesn't say anything about your safety and security and, and God's love for you. Actually, because there is a battle, that's a sign of life. That's not what the battle feels like in the battle moment. We're like, oh man, I'm, I'm wrestling again with patience. It's because this stuff isn't really true for me. I'm wrestling again to just really be present. It's because I have these glimmers of wanting to be a good parent, but that's not really who I am. All right? And the invitation of a life in the Spirit is all about space. It's all about creating space. Paul starts this passage, the first command, you know what the first command is? It's, I promise you, it's not try harder. The first command, when Paul's laying out his understanding of spiritual formation in the second half of Galatians, the first command is literally don't make space for your flesh. He says, don't, don't create opportunities for your flesh. Uh, that's a military word. In the Roman Empire, it's like, hey, let's clear that land and let's set up operations camp there. He's saying, freedom. We're free. That's the whole kit and caboodle. We have been called to be free. Now, that freedom opens us up for temptation. The problem, though, is not with freedom. Remember, that was last week. We talked about in the history of, of liberation movements, no oppressor 
has let the oppressed go without a fight. So from Moses to Martin Luther King Jr., no oppressor has let the oppressed go without a fight. It is not as though the slaveholder is standing on the side cheering on the slaves. Yeah, run faster, just a few more miles to the border. We are enslaved by not God, but the flesh. And we are fighting, though, a dead enemy, and it's still powerful. Just like learning how to drive, it, it's a lot, all right? And it doesn't feel like we're doing much. But Paul gives us a way to map, to live, and to experience in a freedom that is already ours. He's given us a path forward. First, we have to recognize the battle. That's step one. And then step two, we need to create space for the spirit. That's how we do it, all right? We recognize there's a battle. Then we need to create space for the spirit, Easier said than done. If you have a Bible, we're in Galatians chapter 5, starting in verse 13. Galatians 5, 13. Not 6, 13. Not 3, 13. Galatians 5, 13. When you find it, would you please stand with me for respect for God's word? Galatians 5, 13. Here we go. You, my brothers and sisters, were called... To be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in this one command love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out, or you're going to be destroyed by each other. But I say to you, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you're led by the spirit, you're not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual morality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. However, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there's no law. Those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let's keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. This is the word of the Lord. Father, your word has declared things. Father, your gospel says anyone who trusts in Jesus is free. It's for freedom that Christ set us free. Past tense. God, we don't believe that. We don't live into that. And just like a trust fund baby living in the slums, we don't experience the goodness of the life that is already ours. Father, I pray that today would be a day where you awaken within us desires. Desires and, and affections. God, I pray that we'd be people who chase after you with everything we have and we're willing to rearrange our lives so we can experience more and more of you. I ask all these things in Jesus' powerful name. Amen. You can have a seat. You can have a seat. All right. 
What's really important, this passage is really popular, it's really famous. What I'm trying to say about this passage, though, is this is Paul laying out a plan for Christian formation. For what do people who are apprentices of Jesus, who say, hey, I give Jesus my allegiance, I want to follow him, how do we experience the formation, how do we live into that reality? And Paul lays out a plan for this. One of the things that's really important about recognizing this plan, though, is there's a working metaphor that Paul has that starts in the Old Testament and carries itself into the New Testament. And it's this idea of fruit and gardening. Fruit and gardening. Think about it. The fruit of the Spirit. That's not chosen randomly. It wasn't so like Paul's like, hey, this will sell t-shirts. Don't worry. We'll make this, all right? No, that's very intentional. Here's the language that that comes from. Proverbs eleven seventeen just kind of captures some of the language of this. So a person of hesed grows his own soul, but a cruel person destroys his own flesh. This, I remember where I was when I heard this. You know, people say, when the student is ready, the teacher will arrive. I had a teacher who I didn't have any clue what he was talking about. He, he said, he read this verse to me and said, this is a massive statement about human ontology. And I was like, yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. But it is. All right. Ontology, being. What does it mean to be a human? All right. Listen to this really, really carefully. All right. A person of chesed. All right. Chesed is, we use lots of words for it. Love, loving kindness, grace. It's that relational, it's the relational glue that holds God to his people. Okay. That re- a person who loves that relational glue grows his own soul. If you're looking at that in the NIV, it might say rewards himself. The word there for grows is gamal. And gamal is a word, a gardening word. It means like, so things that gamal are, are almonds. So you, you water them and then they gamal. They grow. They flower. They nurture. A person of loving attachments grows his own soul. All right, we were wired for goodness. When we, when we connect to God, when we lean into that relationship, we experience our soul growing, all right? Amy Winehouse, Howard Hughes, they were lost souls, not because they didn't know Jesus, but because they had hit a point where they were completely incapable of dealing with life's problems and they turned in on themselves. And what, how Jesus and the biblical writers think about it, that's being a lost soul and it's scary, all right? We, people of Chesed, can grow our souls. Here's what's amazing and beautiful about that. You and I may not have what it takes to be the type of people we were wired to be, all right? You and I do not have what it takes to be the type of people we were wired to be, but we can grow our soul. The seed is there, and we can grow our souls to be people of hesed, okay? Let me try to illustrate it like this, okay? Anybody in here play a piano? Any piano players out there? Okay, everyone look around the room. Lots of people not raising their hands, okay? Now, everybody that didn't raise their hand, we'll assume there's like two or three like, you know, rock stars. They're like, hmm, I'm not raising my hand. I know he wants me to raise my hand, but I'm not going to do it. We'll assume there's about two or three in every crowd, okay? Everybody else does not play the piano. Let's assume we took all those non-piano players and said, hey, I've got great news, all right? Come March, you're going to play Carnegie Hall. Wow. What am I going to play? Vivaldi. Who? I don't know. We got till March, right? <laughs> All right. Now, 
We have two options when March comes around. Option number one is we go home and we're like, do, 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 do. We just like scales. We start practicing. Okay? Here's option number two, though. Option number two is like, let's just wait till March. All right? And let's just sit down at the piano and let's try as hard as we can. All right? Now, in reality, which one's easier? Well, if you want to play Vivaldi, option A is going to get you there. When the New Testament talks about effort and trying, it's talking about training, not trying really hard. Again, purple elephants. The Bible's not saying, don't sin. Try really, really, really hard not to sin. It's saying, let's put ourselves in the way of these experiences so we can grow our capacity that these become more and more natural. Just like driving a car. Now you forget the millions of steps you go through. Not all Missourians, though, okay? I just want to say, there are lots of our neighbors that are not very good at driving cars, all right? They need to, like, go through some of those steps, but not you and I, all right? We know how to drive a car, all right? And Paul's saying growth, growth can happen fundamentally because of who we are, and we recognize the type of battle that we're in. Okay? And the enemy that we're fighting, remember the slaveholder who's not cheering on our freedom, is not God. That was two weeks ago. Right? A lot of times if we think God's a slaveholder, he's trying to make me live a good life, but he's just keeping it just out of my reach. No. The enemy that we are battling up against is this thing that Paul mentions again and again called the flesh. The flesh. William Barclay, it's a New Testament scholar, and this is how he defines the flesh. The flesh is what man has made himself in contrast with man as God made him. The flesh is human nature as it has become through sin. The flesh is human nature as it has become through sin. So remember, what's a person? A will with a mind inside a body. All of us, our will, what do I want? Affected by sin. Our mind what do I feel? My feelings, my thoughts, affected by sin. My ability to reason, affected by sin. My body, affected by sin. Right? All of us, all the, every single part of us has been affected by sin. All right? And we call that the flesh. That's that, that, the, the, the stickiness of sin that just sticks with us. Now, here's great news. Okay? Great news. You're welcome for this. Galatians 5.23, 4, Galatians 5.24 is the great news. Those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh. That is past tense. The flesh has been crucified. All right? Amen. Yes, that is wonderful news. That's like D, we're living in the D-Day and V-Day, the time in between that. Remember D-Day, we stormed the beaches of Normandy? The war fundamentally ended, right? The, the, the Nazis were like, we give up, all right? Game over, we lose. But there was a little bit of space and time before V-Day when the full reality of that was lived into. Those of us who trust Jesus, our flesh has been defeated. You're like, oh no, is that awful news? I still feel a flesh. Does that mean I haven't trust Jesus? No. We battle, though, with, it's like, you know, corpses can fart. <laughs> hang on, hang on, we'll get there, right? That's what the flesh is. It's a fart on a dead corpse. It's powerful, it can clean out a room, it can really mess up your life, but it's dead. 
All right? That's the flesh. We are fighting against a dead enemy. These habits, these ways of being. Oh my goodness, I keep, oh, I keep struggling with anger. It's because for generations you've been in a family that that's what you learned, right? And so it just gets worked deeply into your members, just like tying shoes, right? We learn to do this, and that's also just how we've responded. We have to learn, hey, this isn't who you are anymore. All right? Your strongest desire is not your deepest desire. Like, I really want to get angry. I really want to get angry. That's not who you are. For those of us who grew up watching Thomas the Tank Engine, Ringo has a great line in that show uh, where he says this, it's not wrong, we just don't do it. Right? Isn't that the most British thing you've ever heard? It's not wrong, we just don't do it. Right? That, that. It's, it's not, hey, it's not as though, where was the connection there? I just was picturing Ringo. Hang on, Lord. Hang on. Oh, here we go. We don't do it. You have a new identity. All right? You have a new identity in this battle. It's not like I am the flesh. I am dominated by sin, so of course I'm going to sin. No. You got to speak truth. That's a lie. But I'm angry. Yeah. Of course, because that's been habituated in our lives, right? Yeah, well, oh, I really just want to have sex with anybody I want. Yes, because that's how we learned to cope with life. We, there's a new way to live. There's a new way to be. And we had to first recognize these battles and these fights. The first step in recognizing is I'm fighting a battle about identity, who am I? Am I who my flesh tells me I am? My flesh tells me you're a failure. Everything this preacher is saying, that's true for your neighbor. It's not true for you. All right? The flesh, lies are the lifeblood of the flesh. What does scripture say? If anyone is in Christ. Yeah, but I'm not very impressive. I didn't go to seminary. I don't, anyone. Are you in anyone? Right? You're either in or you're out. All right? Are you in anyone? Right? I have been crucified with Christ. No longer I who live, Christ lives in me. That's for really spiritual people. That's the flesh. That's a lie. All right? Lies are the lifeblood of the flesh. And some of us have been trained to just dress up the flesh, never to challenge the flesh. All right? And the invitation that Jesus has and Paul is inviting us into is to live really into reality. It doesn't feel true. I know. That's why we train. Step one is recognizing there's a battle. Here's, here's another thing about recognizing the battle. Another thing about recognizing the battle is this. We have to recognize how the flesh fights. And here's how the flesh fights. At first, at first, the flesh promises everything and asks for nothing. But later, after we've given in to the flesh, the flesh promises nothing and asks for everything. All right? At first, the flesh promises everything and asks for nothing. Easy breezy. That's way easier to believe and live into. But later, the flesh promises nothing and asks for everything. We have to recognize the battle. I mean, listen to this. Listen to this. This is really intentional. Paul's wording is super intentional. Okay? Look at verse... 20, look at verse 17, okay? Let's go to verse 17 real quick. 
The flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you do not do whatever you want. All right, the flesh is dead, but it's created a battle. Here's what we think about that battle. I have a battle, oh man, it's because I'm not a good Christian. It's because I'm not a real Christian. And then, so we have that going on in our head. And then Paul gives us this laundry list of sins, the work of the flesh. And if you're honest, you're like, yeah, I can check a lot of those boxes. Some of you, you're like, okay, sexual immorality, yeah, I can check impurity. Self-abandonment, uh, yep, I can check that out. Idolatry. Yeah, do I make things more powerful than they are? Sure. Magic? Hey, I think I'm okay. We're good. I actually just want to say, though, about that really quickly. Magic. Uh, the ancients, there was no line between, like, the natural and the supernatural. There's a great Thor talks about this, right? Like Marvel, those mediocre movies. Uh, talks about uh, what the ancients used to call magic, the moderns now call science. And C.S. Lewis says that too. And then we're like, oh, that's ridiculous. But it helps make sense of Demi Lovato has a video online where she's like scolding all of us. She's like, we're so rude to aliens, right? When aliens come, they're going to be so offended because we called them aliens. But I'm going to be polite uh, and not call them aliens. We'll call them creatures from another world, right? And it's like, that's that, okay? And it's really prevalent, Okay. You're welcome. That, that's also looking to Neil deGrasse, Tyson, Neil deGrasse Tyson for like moral formation, right? He's a scientist. He's not going to tell you how to live, right? That's scientism, all right? Same thing, magic. Animosity. Any, anybody ever been frustrated with someone they live with? Engaging in rivalry? Kansas Jayhawks? I don't know. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Uh, intense outbursts of anger, right? So here's what happens. We go through this list and we're like, oh my goodness, I see the work of the flesh in my life. I'm probably not a Christian. Because what does Paul go on to say? Oh, though, this is scary. He goes on to say this. Those, verse 21, those who practice these things will not inherit the kingdom of God. You're like, oh, see, I knew I was out. I knew I was out. I have envy. I get intense outbursts of anger. Certainly not like a church parking lot or anything, but man, oh man, I'm out. No, no, no. That's why it's important to read your Bible. Here's, here's that's the lie, all right? And remember, the lifeblood of the flesh is lie. Here's, here's the truth. Practice these things. All right? What does practice mean? Exactly what Alan Iverson meant by it is practice. All right? It's just practice. Thank you. You know Ted Lasso fans out there? Isn't that like the biggest show ever? You guys? Like, Come on, you guys. Practice trying to get better at these things. People who are like, man, how can I be more greedy? Right? Like the Wolf of Wall Street. I needed to make their money because I'm better at spending it than me. So I'm going to figure out ways to live into this greed. Those who practice these things are showing they have no connection to the kingdom of God. Now, all of us, do we slide into these things? Yeah. Yes, we do. That doesn't mean we're not connected to the kingdom of God. And that's, again, that's the scary thing about the flesh. That's a half-truth. Oh, man, I'm doing these things. Maybe I'm out. And you never doubt the doubt. We just, uh, oh, something bad about me was said from me. It's probably true. Because, you know, God is holy. I am not. So this, this hard truth, that's probably true. You need to doubt your doubts. Just because you thought it doesn't mean it's true. You know who your greatest critic is? Yourself. All right? Some of you are harder on you than God is on you. And it feels spiritual. It feels pietistic. I'm holy, right? I just have a higher sense of holiness. 
No. Some of you are actually making opportunities for the flesh and you think it's holiness. All right? All right. But Paul transitions, though. How do we be people who grow our hearts into this, this fruit of the Spirit? Remember what he says in verse 13, right? What's the verb? What's the first command that dominates everything? Brothers and sisters, you're called to be free. Don't use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Remember, that's that military word that means create space. So we recognize the battle, all right? And instead of, what's the, the negative of this is don't create space for the flesh, all right? Don't create opportunities. Don't make, a, don't make it easy on the flesh, all right? Rather, create space for serving one another humbly in love. That's a pun. It's for freedom that Christ set us free. The word for slavery is the same word for serve. So we're to be people who serve one another in love. Remember, you got to serve somebody. It may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you got to serve somebody. Paul's saying we use our freedom to be people of love who are growing our souls and, and opening ourselves up to love and helping others experience that. So we need to create space for the Spirit. Creating space. How in the world do you do that? How do you create space for the Spirit? All right? Look at some of the fruit of the Spirit. Remember, it's so important. The fruit of the Spirit. Fruit. The byproduct. You will not create fruit by trying harder. Dallas Willard, um, he was like a spiritual formation guru. I love the dude. He's awesome. He has this, he talked a lot about disciplines. He says we grow through disciplining ourselves. All right? But here's what he's saying. He's not saying try harder. The disciplines don't help us grow what we recognize is the disciplines just create space where we can experience the love that's already ours. So it's not saying, do you want to be loved by God? Work really hard to be patient. Work really hard to be a person of peace. It's saying, hey, I understand that you are this new identity. You are, you are grafted into that tree. Christ's resurrection power lives in you. Now you need to create spaces where you can experience that more and more. The disciplines aren't, it's not the effort, all right? I, look, this is, okay, my wife and I, there's an excellent marriage book that we just started reading. It's called Four Habits of a Happy Marriage, Jim Wilder. The library has it. If you're married, you're welcome, all right? This book is fantastic. Here's something that happened in that book, all right? So I was being a little bit of a puke yesterday. I was just in a bad mood, right? I was kind of grumpy, all right? And my wife could tell, and she had this look on her face, but I'm reading this book, right? And so I practiced something from the book. I just looked at my wife and smiled. Just made great eye contact, like didn't break the eye contact. I was just looking right at her and I just smiled. And you know what happened? She smiled back. And it totally changed the course of the evening. Now, okay? Now, it would be foolhardy to say, okay, has life got you down? Just smile more. No, 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 no. The smiling isn't the goal. The what happened after the smiling is the goal. Okay? So when we talk about how do we create space for the spirit, our flesh wants to say the smiling is the goal. If you just smile more, you're going to be fine. Just get these right tactics down and you're fine. No, no, no. It's not the smiling. It's what comes after the smiling. The disciplines don't transform us. They put us in a space where we can experience transformation. All right? Don't miss that. 
Here's three disciplines I think that we need to cultivate if we really want to be people who are, our souls are growing into this. And I, this is my own translation on both of these. So, you know, again, some, like, what's the word for love? Love, right? But some of these are really good. So, like, love, joy, peace, patience, and then the word good. That's super cool, right? Remember in Genesis 1, God's making a bunch of things, and God saw that it was good, and then God said, that's the same word, all right? And so, the fruit of the Spirit is the good of that creation Eden moment, right? We get to experience that flourishing, that, ah. That's the fruit of the Spirit, right? Generosity, faithfulness, uh, humility, uh, the, uh, a, a definition I love of humility, a quality of not being overly impressed by one's own sense of self-importance, right? Doesn't mean you're not like, hey, I contributed, but it's like, hey, if I go away, things will keep moving without me. I, I make contributions, but the world doesn't revolve around me, all right? Those, those are the fruit of the Spirit. There's way more work of the flesh, Paul just keeps describing it, than there are fruit of the Spirit, and again, it's singular. And people are like, that's the fruit of the fruit. I don't know why it's singular, okay? I wouldn't make a huge deal out of it, okay? Or seriously, okay. In, yeah, never mind. Ah, okay, in Greek, uh, single nouns can take plural adjectives. So it could be the fruits of the spirit, okay? It's kind of a false. Uh, don't make, some people are like, see, it's the fruits. I should always be loving, joyful. No, like sometimes you'll see more love than you do joy, okay? Like that's just my view from the cheap seats, okay? Sorry, sometimes I open doors I don't want to walk down. All right, so here's what, here's though, if we really are going to be people who make space for the Spirit, there's three habits, I think we need to do that. Three habits, three things we can do to move out of the strip club neighborhood, all right? All right? Because you're like, oh man, that guy, what was wrong with him? Look, you and I, we have our own strip club neighborhoods we're living in, all right? Like, I don't, you do, okay? Here's thing number one, rest. A habit we can make to cultivate this type of space that we're trying to create for the Spirit, rest. Okay? Some of us are moving so fast and we have so much stress and so much anxiety on us that it's just like creating way more space for the flesh than we need to. Slow down. All right? So, for example, somebody responds, right? Somebody, my kids, I come home, I want to veg, right? I have this desire going on me. My kids want me to be present, right? Dad, one kid called me this. What are you going to do? He took this. What are you going to do? Slow down. If you can increase, if you can increase the space between your reaction and the event, you are far more likely to be wise in that reaction. Are you just flying off the rails, Right? No, you don't need to do that. You can rest. Slow down. Create a rhythm of your life where you're a person of rest. Right? Jesus died for the church so you don't have to. It's not hanging on your ability to hustle and get things done. You can slow down. Right? And that creates space for the Spirit. You want to be a person who, who's creating space for the Spirit? You got to be someone who embraces rest. Right? And rest is an act of trust. It also means we can reply in love. Remember? The fruit of the Spirit, we want to serve each other through love. We don't create a space for love if we're just anxious and living out of our reactions. Discipline or habit number two. If we want to be people who make space for the Spirit, number two, silence and solitude. I cannot make a big enough deal of silence and solitude. All right? It... it for many years in my Christian life, my spiritual disciplines were read the Bible and pray more. And 
we celebrate that. That's wonderful. But if those are the only arrows in your quiver, you're going to run out of gas fast. All right? Silence, taking time away, just even like a 10 minutes, taking time away lets you start to dialogue with your inner critic. It lets you start to hear, oh, wow, I, the flesh is way more present than I ever thought it was. I'm talking to myself all the time. Is that true? Right? Okay, hey, I'm sitting with a piece of paper. I'm resting, and I get this thought. You're not doing enough. Okay, write that down. Is that from the Lord? Or is that my flesh? How do we know? Well, the flesh deals in lies and currencies. All right, is, is there truth in this? Yeah, but is it the whole truth? No. We get those moments through silence and solitude. We create space. Thing number three, habit number three, to the person who creates space, create space for others. Create space for others. Look at what Paul says again in verse 13, the first command. He says this in uh, Galatians 5, 13. Uh, Rather, serve who in love? Serve who? One another. It's really hard to serve someone when you're just trying to like, you're doing this like, forget purple elephants. I'm going to will myself into loving you more. No. We got to create space. We're creating space for ourselves through rest, through silence. How do we create space for other people? I can't change you. I would love, I, I love you and have a wonderful plan for your life. I can't change you. But I can create spaces where you can experience change. What does that look like? What does it look like in marriages? What does it look like for roommates? What does it look like for a church community? What does it look like in connection groups? What if we went to a connection group where we created space for each other versus always trying to fix each other? I think we'd start to see some of the fruit of the Spirit in those connection groups. Love, joy, peace. If lies, if lies are the lifeblood of the flesh, isolation is miracle grow. If lies are the lifeblood of the flesh, isolation is miracle grow. When we isolate ourselves, we start telling ourselves all kinds of crazy things, all right? And I got to experience this in an interesting way a couple weeks ago. Um, I recently uh, got some information about my, my family of origin. And so I, f- I found all these newspaper clippings about my grandfather. All right? And my grandfather was like the life of the party. He had some weird behavior, but he was like, everyone's like, oh, you're just like your grandfather. Here's this fun French-Canadian cool guy. And I, I love the guy. But he had some weird behavior, right? And so I'm, I'm looking through these old newspaper clippings. And you know what I found? It was weird. I had been joking with people like, oh, yeah, hey, I'm learning about my family. Watch somebody in my family kill somebody, right? Like, I'm a, you know, somebody in my family killed somebody. Yeah? Joking, right? And then, you know, guess what happened? My grandfather was a train engineer, and in the 60s, 70s, and 80s, he was part of the greatest generation, came back from World War II. And I don't know if you know this, uh, regulations have kind of upped a little bit, and trains are a little safer. Back in the day, when my grandfather was a train engineer, there were like train crossings without the ding, 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 thing, right? Crazy, right? Like, who was in charge, right? And so my grandfather is in rural Vermont running a train. It's around Christmas, and a car goes across the tracks, and he goes across, and the driver's killed later that night. It's an accident. Manslaughter is an accident. I never knew that story, though. So I call my mom, and I'm like, hey, mom, like, did you know this about grandpa, like your dad? And my mom actually told me a different story. Oh, she's like, no, 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 it wasn't, it wasn't a family in a car, which I just read a newspaper article about. It was a kid playing on the tracks. And it's like, wait, are there two? She's like, oh, no. And there were, so there are all these stories, right? Now, 
it would be completely inappropriate for my grandfather to process that with his 13-year-old grandson, right? Like, hey, this happened to me, son. I want you to help me process these emotions. That would be totally inappropriate. However, after talking to my mom and others, I'm pretty confident, and given his generation, the greatest generation, I'm pretty confident he didn't process that with anybody. I think he just, that happened to him, and he just buried it and kept moving forward. And that helps to explain erratic behavior, right? All my cousins have stories like, yeah, Grandpa took us once on the train to Boston. Anyone been in Boston? Faneuil Hall. He sat us down in Faneuil Hall, left for the day, comes back in like a tux and is like all showered. And everyone's like, what's he doing? What? Do he have like a secret family? Like just bizarre stories. It's because living in the flesh, just like living in the spirit grows our soul, when we live in the flesh, it shrinks our soul. And isolation is a place where if we're living in isolation, we experience this shrunken life. The flesh turns us in on ourselves. It tells us all these things and we shrink and we shrink and we shrink. And isolation is miracle grow for a shrunken life. Look around this room. You can do it. No judgment. Just look at your neighbors. You need each other. These are the people God has put in your life as an invitation to help you grow your soul. These are the people who you can share your story, who you can create a space for, who can help you follow Jesus and grow your soul to be a person of love, a person of joy and peace. You might be able to do that on your own. You might. But it's highly unlikely. Just like you might be able to play at Carnegie Hall and really pull one out of thin air. You might be able to, but it's really unlikely. We were given each other as a gift. Not so we can try to fix each other, but so we can create space. And when we do that, we start to experience love, joy, and peace. Father, oh, that we would live deeply into the reality of who you've made us. God, I pray that we would be a people who experience your spirit, who walk in the spirit, who when we fail, we know that that doesn't alter our identity, that we are loved and chosen by you. God, help us to live in this new identity. In Jesus' name, amen. This podcast is part of the ministry of Compass Church in Columbia, Missouri. For more information, please check out compasscfc.com.